Hello, listeners, and welcome to the Religious Studies Project. I'm David McConaughey, and she is... Brianne Fallon. And we... Well, we're David and Chris, as you probably well know. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yes, uh, so it's still the four of us um, doing this weird uh, three-continent recording. Um, and this week's podcast is... Uh, another one that Sydney Castillo recorded for us at the EHR recently um, called uh, When Archive Meets AI, about computational humanities research. Um, and it's with Katrine Fokiar-Bangvig. And uh, let's pass right over now. So we are here at the EASR conference 2019 in Tartu, Estonia. And uh, we are just moving around in between different conferences. <laughs> Today is the third day. We are all tired but very happy. And I'm also happy to have Katrine Bombi here with me at the Release Size Project. Welcome, Katrine. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks as well for coming with us. And uh, if you would be so kind to introduce yourself so we know a little bit about you. Yes, of course. Um, I am an associate professor at Aarhus University where I am the director for the Grundtvig Study Center. Um, uh, yeah, and my background is that I'm an historian of religions. Um, I did a PhD thesis on this guy, this uh, guy, Danish guy, Grundtvig. Uh, and his thoughts on social cohesion um, um, and compared these thoughts uh, with uh, the ones uh, found in, uh, in in the collected writings of Emil Durkheim. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. So it's quite a lot. <laughs> yes, it is. Perfect. So let's just dive right in to the questions. I, first, I think to give a proper or like a broader perspective of how digital humanities works, I will ask that, how digital humanities can aid in the study of religion? Yeah, well, um, yeah, that's a really broad question. Uh, Sorry <laughs> um, no, no, no. They, they are usually great uh, to, to think with. Um, so what can they aid? Uh, they can aid with uh, a multitude of methods uh, um, handling uh, uh, already known uh, data sets, um, and they can produce new kinds of data. That would be my take. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But actually, I kind of prefer to... Uh, I don't use the term digital humanities so much as I prefer to uh, speak of uh, computational humanities uh -huh. because it, in a certain sense um, digital humanities already have gone into, well, it's like that with all uh, fields of uh, scholarship in their formative uh, states mm -hmm. uh, um, that they... They struggle to find the correct terms and produce new ones uh, all the time. So, so for me at least, uh, digital humanities um, sig can can at least signal anything from philosophical reflections of what um, the consequences are uh, for us as a species that we now have to deal with the di digital as sort of with capital letters. Um, 
So for me, what I do and what we do at the Grundtvig Study Center is that we have digitized the mm-hmm. entire writings of uh, Grundtvig, and I, I hope to uh, get a chance to sort of uh, uh, expand on who he was and why that is relevant to, to digitize his work. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have, uh, we have uh, now a digitized corpus of, uh, of his writings. Uh, we, uh, we scanned it, OCR scanned it, and, and made um, uh, HTML um, um, markup. Um, um, uh, so it's in a really good quality. And uh, therefore, we can do uh, different kinds of uh, computational um, uh, um, investigations into this uh, corpus. And that is what we do. Um, yeah. Nikolaj Frederik Severin Grundtvig, really long and uh, hard to, uh, to pronounce uh, name. Well, he was uh, and is in, in the Danish self-understanding. Uh, uh, on, on the one hand, um, a nation builder um, um, or a founding father, perhaps. Uh, and on the other hand, a, a, a church father of a sort. Uh, he he was a he was born um, um, in 1783 and died in 1872, mm-hmm. um, and that was a really really important. Uh, period of time in Danish uh, national history this was the period where we um, where the n- nation went from well if you accept the idea of an uh, a long middle age uh, uh, period uh, he, you could say that he died on the eve of of the middle ages mm-hmm. at least he he died during or just before um, the feudal structures of Denmark collapsed. Uh, well, he was born. Sorry, he, he was born just before these these structures collapsed, and then he 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 died uh, just when uh, Denmark entered into modernity. Um, that is the the general narrative of Grundtvig, and that is the understanding of the nineteenth century uh, in Denmark. Uh, and then he was uh, active within all of the domains uh, in, in change in Denmark. So he was uh, active as a a, a, a pastor. Um, he was a priest. Uh, mm-hmm. He uh, and, and a kind of theologian. <laughs> and then he was uh, um, very much influenced by the Romantic movement um, mm-hmm. and sort of rebooted or went along the idea that. The, the old Norse mythology had to be revived um, within the Danish population. One of the ideas uh, uh, of his was that you had to make a sort of social uh, um, content f- uh, preparing people for feeling connected um, with, uh, the, the, with the overall idea of the people uh, mm-hmm. Because we now had this uh, new um, governmental structure, the, the democracy, um, and and uh, his idea was that you had to install responsibility and feelings of 
love in the population so it was a nationalist logic you have to get the people to really feel responsible for the the broad spectrum of of, of Denmark mm. if if we have to make this democracy work so so in that sense he was politically engaged and mythologically engaged and he Th- uh, uh, wrote quite a deal and reflected quite a deal um, uh, on pedagogical stuff, didactic stuff, how to get people to uh, know uh, of their cultural heritage and how to make them want to engage with it and f- mm. feel um, connected to it. Um, uh, so he was also an architect behind a new kind of educational form Or in a sense, that is what we now say many other agents and men uh, mainly were, were really influential in that movement. Mm-hmm. But um, but but now today, his his name is also con- connected with this um, um, loose and kind of lax uh, form of education that you call uh, folk high schools. Um, that's uh, a phenomenon in, in still still uh, living uh, alive in Denmark and and other places uh, around the world um, yeah so in that sense Grundvi is seen as a very important person during this uh, period where the modern Denmark was uh, created um, and you can see that uh, amongst politicians in Denmark today. So when they want to signal that they know stuff about Danish uh, history uh, and and at the same time uh, sort of uh, signal that they are liberal, um, they, they, can, they can quote Grundtvig. Um, mm. uh, and they tend to do so in the public media uh, oftentimes. Um, oh. Yeah. Uh, and furthermore, Grundtvig is... Uh, on um, uh, well is, is uh, a, a central um, name within the manifestos of every um, political party within the Danish parliament except one mm-hmm. um, so in that sense uh, he is seen as a founding father for uh, almost every political uh, every part of the political spectrum oh, in wow. Denmark so He's in that sense a, a non-controversial figure that everybody seems to agree that he is uh, he's he, he's our guy, right. <laughs> um, and that is why, um, or perhaps one um, uh, one more example of this is is perhaps the center where I'm the director, mm-hmm. the Grundvi Study Center. We are f- uh, governmentally funded, um, mm-hmm. um, and the main task is to digitize his entire works. Um, um, and that uh, is a thing that that politicians uh, can can agree upon as a as a uh, uh, a worthy task, um, um, and using money for this task. And it is actually quite expensive. So, mm-hmm. in that sense, money talks <laughs> and. <laughs> Uh, and says that uh, Grundvig is important for Denmark. Um, he's an an, wow. an important figure um, that we want to spend uh, money on digitizing this uh, work. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and was, I can imagine that he's also present in the imaginary of the people, like everyday life. You know, it's a cultural reference. He's a cultural reference. Um, I well, there are certain uh, spheres. 
where Grundvi are more relevant than others. Um, so we have cultural strands. Uh, we have one movement, or what? What I, I, I struggle to find the correct term, but uh, we call it uh, Grundvigianism, um, mm-hmm. uh, a, a movement uh, driven by the ideas uh, of Grundvi and. Um, and what I forgot to mention was that Grundtvig was also a, a grand um, author of hymns or composer of hymns. Um, so he, I kid you not, he wrote sixteen hundred hymns, um, and um, and two hundred and fifty of them uh, now constitute one third of the Danish uh, hymn book in the in the Danish folk church, the Danish. Uh, oh, wow. uh, cha- Church, so people know uh, know about uh, know of him. Um, I'm not quite sure whether um, uh, for the broad population he's important in everyday life as such. Right. Um, but when you discuss cultural heritage and democracy and liberal stances and tolerance within the church and stuff like that, Grundvi is uh, is sort of seen as a um, Gravitational point or something along those lines. Yeah. Right, right. Excellent. Now, Devin, now on your research, uh, what I would like to ask you is uh, what was the procedure to develop the Grumpy AI? Yeah, yeah. There is one. Yeah, because there is one, or, or we are building one. Uh-huh. <laughs> we, we are, okay, so the idea, this is actually a, a bit of fun. <laughs> um, <laughs> we're just teasing around with what to do with all this material. Um, um, and, um, and, and as a sort of branding strategy, uh, we decided that, um, that we would resurrect Grundvi, oh. um, <laughs> as an artificial intelligence. Uh, on the day of his 150th uh, death day, uh, mm-hmm. or what have we, in two uh, in September 2022, so we have we have uh, quite there's, some time. time. Yeah, there is still time. So, um, so, so first of all, we we did, um, oh, and as we almost done with the the construction of a chatbot. Mm-hmm. So, uh, based on um, on uh, the idea of uh, uh, recurrent neural network systems, um, um, so we built a, a chatbot, um, and the idea was uh, so. So I, I can I can develop that or uh, expand uh, that, uh, um, but but the overall idea is to take this uh, chatbot and then. Um, put it into an actual robot, um, oh. so it's a physical uh, robot look uh, who, who, that looks like Grundvi. He, he has uh, um, he was really spooky, and people people will recognize him as this uh, uh, gloomy, um, <laughs> old, um, bearded uh, man mm-hmm. in, in in black. Uh, yeah, and we want to to uh, to do an actual physical robot that looks like uh, Grundvi, uh, and so that people can uh, interact with him. Whoa. Yeah, um, and perhaps he can, I don't know, give a sermon, uh, give a speech in Parliament. Um, yeah, so um, so we're really excited about this project. Um, 
Um, but in, in, in a certain sense, we're just teasing around with mm-hmm. the possibilities of this uh, digital data. Um, and, but I, I really, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing the reactions to this uh, yeah. re- resurrection and see how the different cultural reactions would be uh, when it is possible to engage with Grundvi as an artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. And, and perhaps I should now expand a bit on how we sort of build it. So, um, so what we, we do um, is in, so let me just sort of try not to uh, get in all, into all the acronyms and, sure. and yeah. So, so, so the basic is that we, we, um, we have, um, we use um, machine learning. We train an algorithm on, um, f- first of all, we take the Grundvi corpus, um, and train it on that. So, and, and the, the, the aim is to have users, uh, interacting with, uh, uh with Grundvi or the, the Grundvi, hmm. Uh, intelligence, so mm-hmm. what, what have we? Um, and, um, um, the corpus consists of, uh, what amounts to, uh, 37,000 standard pages. If you had to read through them, it is in fact possible, but people turn out really weird when they do so. So <laughs> I, I, I really prefer not to, um, <laughs> I, I like to pick uh, specific bits and then read through them. Mm-hmm. Um, no, but so so just kidding. Um, and they they that is uh, uh, only his published writings uh, mm-hmm. that that we use. Um, but but um, so we take that as a, a beginning uh, point. But it is in fact in this context a really really small data set. So we have to. Uh, train the algorithm on on relevant uh, other relevant stuff. So we are in fact re- very lucky that uh, the Danish Royal Library has digitized um, mm. uh, every Danish newspaper uh, published ever uh, <laughs> since the late. Um, uh, um, if, uh, uh, I think it is uh, 1660 uh, or, or so. Um, um, yeah, so we can take uh, the relevant 19th century material and and uh, the idea is that you sort of uh, furnish uh, the intelligence with uh, the period that it lived in, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we uh, also have available uh, uh, relevant uh, novels uh, of, of the age, um, um, so we train it on that. And then the idea is to find contextually relevant material, uh, sort of uh, uh, adding to to the system, as it were. Um, yeah, and um, so so of course there are many many um, problems with this. Um, so so if you have to sort of philosophically discuss with, with this, uh, be a representative of who Grundvi really was? Well, no, of course it wouldn't. It is uh, it is based on what he uh, not 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 what he wrote, but what he published. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, Grundvi himself is was very uh, eager to point out that there is a long way from the uh, um, 
the way you communicate with your when uh, when uh, with your mouth and with your hands right. um so he he had this i don't know catchphrase or uh, 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 well, he was really keen on the idea of uh, the the so-called living word uh, that was his his term and that was uh, the oral communication um as the Uh, correct way to, or uh, the easiest way to transport uh, ideas and feelings and stuff like that. So this idea of us taking his uh, uh, writings as sort of a proxy for who, who he was <laughs> uh, goes against what he he would have himself. Uh, <laughs> but yes, yeah, he would not have agreed. <laughs> um, So, so, um, so, yeah. So the the hope is because we also have uh, outreach applications uh, obligations at um, at our center. The hope is that we can um, have the people will find it uh, interesting uh, mm -hmm. and a fun thing to discuss, and then I can then uh, uh, tell them a bit more qualified uh, information about Grundvi uh, uh, during that process. When that is said. Um, uh, I think it will be interesting to see how to how can one interact with this this thing and what will people do with it um how will they uh, th think of it um that that is so there is an sort of an anthropological uh, uh, observational study waiting a few years ahead yeah Definitely. yeah and uh, going back to how you proceed to develop the Grammy guy yeah in your presentation of, uh, of now the ESR 2019 you work pretty much about this uh, this work was coming up all the time world embedding yeah about he all throughout his writings and how this yeah. also is a reference of his own talk yeah uh, what are could you share some of your major yeah with us? yeah for sure um what uh, I presented here uh, yesterday Uh, was um, um, a, an investigation that um, used sort of the basic uh, um, methods uh, we, we used to construct, or at least the same material we, we used to con 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 construct the chatbot. Um, but um, but here we um, we used it to uh, to um, embed um, or deeply. Uh, contextualize in a semantic network uh, specific keywords that I, as a Grundvi scholar, were interested in in um, in seeing um, the network between. Um, um, and this uh, this uh, study um, um, was uh, for me interesting in, because I wanted to well because I'm a historian of religions mm -hmm. um, and I'm interested in cosmologies. Um, so I would like to see what what is in fact how to tease out the worldview of Grundtvig. Uh -huh. um, uh, can you do that in with with these texts? Obviously, I have read a lot of them. <laughs> almost, uh, I'm not okay. So I haven't read all of them uh, because you turn out, as I said, really weird when you do so. <laughs> But I have read uh, quite quite a lot of them. Um, so I have I had an idea of what. What would uh, what I would find, um, but um, as it turned out, it was actually really um, okay. So, so the interesting thing is that we have this 
modernist figure on the mm. one hand. That is what we think of him as in Denmark. Mm. This um, uh, the, the father of Danish modernity, uh, as it were. Um, and I know because I've read a lot of his his works that he had or held an, a sort of uh, geocentric medieval worldview. Oh. Yeah, he he um, he really um, uh, he's really explicit on the uh, on the fact that um, he thinks of uh, the world as the or the earth as the center of the universe um, and um, and uh, and and uses uh, ideas of paradise, earthly paradise, and earthly sky as opposed to heavenly sky with the uh, with God and angels and stuff like that and hell mm-hmm. a, a literal idea of hell um, um, and and that was not typical in 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 the 19th century for mainstream uh, Christian thinking mm-hmm. um, or at least uh, not within uh, Uh, educated elites, uh, and, and he, he, as a theologian, uh, Grundby, um, uh, was one of those. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I would like to see if I could sort of find that, um, or visual, visualize uh, this uh, um, uh, this fact. Um, so what what we did was to. Um, Uh, see how uh, uh, the keywords heaven, mm-hmm. earth, and hell, uh, how they uh, related to each other, and we did so by um, uh, using uh, a specific, specific uh, approach uh, um, called Elmo, <laughs> um, uh, where uh, and and the idea uh, is that you take for each keyword. Uh, ten associations. Mm-hmm. Um, the ten nearest uh, association at uh, sentence level. So you take, the, go through the the, the total corpus um, and see uh, if I'm interested in heaven. What what in 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 which say uh, way uh, and and in a, how can, how to say this? Um, um, which other words does this significantly uh, mm-hmm. cling to? Um, uh, through the corpus, and so then you. By, by the word. Yeah, yeah, exactly. What is the semantic context of this word? Right. Uh, um, so, and then we had. So you call that a cap, um, and then we had three caps or three associations uh, for each association mm-hmm. to sort of see how does that. Uh, Um, how does these uh, words that you find clinging to heaven? Uh, how how does this uh, integrate into uh, their semantic network? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I did that for 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 three keywords, and then collapsed the networks and see how do they integrate um, uh, to then have a semantic uh, network of these different spheres. Right. Um, um, and and the interesting thing. From that is that you can f- take this that analysis and then from that gather um, uh, or see uh, their arising uh, 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 semantic clusters within the network. Mm-hmm. And the, the very interesting uh, finding here was that there is a, um, a, a clearly demarked uh, cluster 
um, for uh, sort of earthly uh, surroundings or you have uh, earth in the center mm-hmm. um, um, and then you have um, a, a semantic cluster of things going from um, uh, the the earthly sky the well you have the earthly sphere and then the earthly sky and then you have a sort of earthly paradise uh, words signaling right. earthly paradise and then you have a netherworld e uh, kind of uh, 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 thing um, connected to uh, uh, um, death uh, but on earth um, and then you have a, an entirely different uh, cluster um, in the network that is um, ontologically uh, seen further from Earth than than the first one. Mm-hmm. That one has to do with heaven and hell. Right. Um, so you can sort of see that 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 uh, the clusters uh, surrounds uh, the Earth. In, in a way that, um, that, that it would do if you have a geocentric worldview. So the, the earth is sort of the center, um, mm-hmm. and then you have the other spheres sort of, uh, uh, interacting around it. Um, and what, in, in, in order to, to saturate or to furnish further, uh, this investigation, I found it necessary to take each each um, uh, keyword and and uh, and see how they perform uh, without w- not within the, n- the network. So can I can I sort of um, word embed them for themselves and see if there is something uh, um, dragging it in a specific direction? Uh, um, and what I found was that. Um, uh, one of the one of the interesting findings here was that Earth uh, in Grundtvig's writings is a a thing um, preserved for or a thing a place uh, um, thought of in biblical terms in uh-huh. in archaic style biblical style or in old Ner- Norse uh, style. So mm-hmm. he think of the earth as a pauloon or a tent, uh, this Semitic idea, uh, embedded in the Bible or in the Old Testament of, of, um, of the world as a, as a, as a tent or there is th- this idea of, um, the world as, um, God's, uh, footrest, mm-hmm. um, also a, a, an, an idea from, from the Bible. Um, and finally, there is uh, f- of, uh, one example uh, more could be the idea of the world as Emir, uh, the, the Old Norse uh, god uh, uh, whose corpse was made into the earth. Um, yeah, so so it is it is an extremely uh, non scientific and non naturalistic uh, kind of. Uh, a way of speaking or writing about uh, life on Earth, mm-hmm. um, and from there I we could sort of uh, uh, f- uh, feel um, uh, kind of uh, secure, or, or I have the idea that 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 Grundvi, in that sense, could could be said to be a representative of. Uh, and medievalist uh, 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 medievalism as such as an, as a, as an 
uh, cultural uh, stream or uh, flow within the 19th century was rather prominent and and this in this way Grundvis worldview could be seen within that that context uh, yeah um, I think that's like uh, quite a good way of mapping his thought to implement it in AI as well uh, intuitively that comes to my mind yeah. in some way for the last question is one thing that you addressed constantly in the previous question is that what does the Grumpy AI imply for the recreation of Grumpy's, Grumpy's legacy in the current day yeah. yeah. I think that's very interesting because as you said when people are going to interact with the AI yeah. Something is going to happen. Yeah, um, I'm. I'm really not sure. Um, <laughs> I'm really not sure what is going to happen. I think that there will be some, uh, you know, Grundvi enthusiasts, um, and these are many old people. <laughs> um, they will be quite uh, in angered, or yeah, uh, yeah. Um, so. Um, Well, I, at least I hope so. I hope that it, it will be something that you could have the opportunity to uh, have a debate uh, in the public uh, media about. Um, um, but I think that if, for others, it would be a, a fun, just a, a fun fact that now you you can try to engage with this this uh, collection of writings uh, <laughs> in in another way and yeah um but i'm interested in in just observing how uh, sort of the idea of agency because it's a it's a robot looking like grunty what that does uh, to the whole thing um i'm i'm really not sure i'm really not sure um as it happens we're, we're really happy that um The Danish National Museum has agreed to um, to uh, host him, as it as it were. Uh, so when the robot is uh, is to be, uh, or when Grundvi is to be artificially revived, mm -hmm. he, he will have a, a home at uh, the Danish National Museum, and you can you can uh, visit him in his uh, um, in his um, office. Uh, <laughs> And you can go and ask him questions. What, what, what up, Grundvi? <laughs> What's up with the, the living world and and all the ideas of the folk high school? And then um, we hope to see. We hope that he will perform uh, and answer in ways that are sort of uh, sensible, um, because that is, uh, of course, what what is al almost. Uh, uh, well, that will be very inter interesting for us to see how how good we we can make him respond um yeah um i think we're in luck that he was from the 19th century and in in order to sort of get a form of authenticity we have to make him a bit weird and i archaic um, yeah. um but it is also a fact that almost everyone who knows of Grundvi will know that he was himself really weird and polemic and Uh, colorful and uh, in a in a certain sense culturally a bit offbeat. That was how he was conceived in within his his time, um, and that so so if 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 uh, the robot doesn't perform as a, a, a closely to human interaction <laughs> skills, uh, 
we can we can tell the, the story about the the weird guy Grundvi. <laughs> he was like that. <laughs> he was like that. Uh, he was awkward and yeah. offbeat and and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but but yeah. So so I'm yeah. So I'm really. I would like to have a better uh, answer to mm-hmm. your good question. Um, but I I'm just not sure. Um, sure. Yeah. I think we have to wait until 2022. Yes. I I invite you. I hereby invite you to come and yeah and see what happens. Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah. And not only what people think about the Grobi, but also what the Grobi will think about current the society. Precisely. I think that would be also interesting, anthropological, and philosophical. Yes. Question. And. Well, and just as you, well, now you mentioned it yourself. Uh, that is one thing that that many politicians uh, and uh, scholars or people engaging in in, in the public debates of, of 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 Denmark tend to do. So yeah. only last week I heard a, a scholar from the um, University of Southern Denmark uh, proclaiming that if Grundtvig was alive today, he would have voted for Trump. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> but in, yeah, 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 um, and that is that is uh, yeah that that type of um, uh, proclamations or uh, uh, suggestions uh, can now be tested. <laughs> Would you? <laughs> yeah. We have to do another podcast in twenty Yeah, yeah. Then we will ask Grundby. You can interview oh, him. We will interview him next. Definitely, that will be yeah. bizarre and fun at the same time. <laughs> well, Catherine, it was very nice to have you here. And uh, we hope to see you again yes, in the future. I hope to get the opportunity to introduce you to the Bronte Robot. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you as well for being part of the RSP. So thanks for Sydney and Katrine for that really stimulating podcast. Um, David and Chris, what do we have coming up next time? Well, next time um, it's uh, it's a bit of a sort of odd compilation podcast. Um, we, we had a couple of um, again RSP uh, regulars, Vivian Azamas and Theo Wildcroft, were roving reporters at the BASR conference um, last month in Leeds, and um, we've got Suzanne Owen, Don Llewellyn, Bettina Schmidt, Jonathan Tuckett. Alan Thomas, Tim Hutchings, Stephen Brooks, and a certain David Robertson and Chris Carter, um, all um, sort of reflecting on the the state of the study of religion in the UK and a little bit about the conference itself. Yeah, um, it kind of starts off being about the conference, but quickly turns to more sort of uh, pressing issues of employability and uh you know, short-term job contracts and uh, the upcoming ref, and kind of where the where the discipline's going. Um, so it's really quite a an interesting snapshot of the field, as well as being about the conference. It's kind of a snapshot of of the field, particularly through the eyes of kind of uh, younger scholars, um, which is an interesting thing to do what eight years after we did our kind of what's the future of religious studies episode way back in our first run of episodes exactly and one of the things they talk about is the the research excellence framework or the ref which is this big um assessment of university research outputs that happens every five years now in the uk 
and it's sort of weighing heavily on academics' minds. Um, in your context, Dave and Brianne, is there is there anything similar like that with this sort of neoliberalization of of higher education, this sort of pressure to publish and uh, publish in appropriate high ranking journal? Are, are you having your are you aware of your research being ranked in in this sort of quite sort of business like fashion or any reflections on that? I think here in the U.S., the state of the field is so broad. There's so many different kinds of universities funded in so many different ways and so many different kinds of departments uh, that uh, those efforts, at least at the, the higher education level in the U.S., are, are not quite present yet. But I think a lot of us are um, starting to think really seriously about how we can attract more students to religious studies majors. And some of the early efforts to that uh, coming out of places like um, the University of Tennessee, uh, Knoxville, and then University of Georgia, and just recently the University of Vermont, all these places are beginning to start to think about certificates and uh, wondering whether religious literacy is a kind of professionalization degree that we can offer to uh, health services. So I think that's as far as the field in the U.S., as broad as it is, has gotten. Uh, Brianne probably feels um, differently about Australia. What do you think, Brianne? It's been a number of years since I've worked in a university. It's been two years since I left the University of Sydney, but um, I definitely recall the concept of a points-based system. You know, a book review is one point, a a journal article is so many, a a book chapter is so many, and the idea that you had to sort of reach a certain amount per year to sort of, you know, be seen as in the good books. And I remember we had a fabulous um, departmental lecture where the whole system was questioned because you aren't going to just churn out a book for five points in, you know, next to no time. And so you're spending the years leading up to, you know, the publication of that book and then you get a raft of points and then, you know, what about the years leading up to that? Of course, you were working on that book. Um, So the idea that the system didn't really understand the nature of how publications actually work and what that actually looks like when you're preparing those larger pieces of work. And there was recently in sort of, in response to this points-based system, an an article in our uh, major Sydney newspaper where there's been a a raft of uh, academics who actually have um, been approached by sort of dodgy journals um, where you pay to publish your work and there's been a lot of sort of actually skimming through journals like that because of the pressure to publish um, and it's become quite problematic so much so that a a mainstream uh, newspaper put it on on page six. Um, so you, we're definitely seeing this onflow effect of this pressure to sort of appease the point system. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, here as well, you definitely are seeing um, the, the publishing system, I guess, being entirely geared towards, you know, we have to get the, all of this stuff out by this point and, you know, scholars dropping projects so that they can get one book out in time for the next breath and, and these kind of publishing cycles. And if you haven't got your um, book in basically by December coming up, it's not going to come out this ref cycle. You might as well take another five years for all that matters. Wow. You know, in terms of your career prospects yeah. or the institutional capital that you can gain from it. <laughs> it's uh, yeah, it's an interesting um 
it's an interesting system. Yeah, so come back for that. Um, hopefully not too depressing. And I think there's some optimism in there as well. Uh, well there's some gags, <laughs> you know, there's some joke. <laughs> come back for that next week. And um, next week, uh, who knows? Um, it's hopefully going to be the, the, the first the first time that a podcast will miraculously appear without David and I having to do the recording. That would be fun, wouldn't it? But I mean, we're still going <laughs> to, I'm, I'm hoping to appear now and again, like maybe when, uh, maybe when I'm in Australia in December, Brianne and I can record some intros in person. That might be fun. Um, but yeah, next, next week, it's Brianne, it's the Brianne and Dave show. We've been promising it for about three weeks now. Next week it's happening. Um, so maybe what remains uh, of this episode is for Dave and Brianne to say, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. The Religious Studies Project is sponsored by the British Association for the Study of Religions, the North American Association for the Study of Religion, and the International Association for the History of Religions. The Religious Studies Project is produced by the Religious Studies Project Association, SCIO, a Scottish charitable incorporated organisation charity number, SC047750. Brought to you by editors Brianne Fallon and David McConaughey, and founding editors Chris Cotter, that's me, and David Robertson, that's him. Our features are edited by Rebecca Barrett-Fox with marketing managed by Benjamin Marcus. Our Opportunities Digest managed by Ella Buck, podcast transcription by Helen Bradstock, and social media managed by Ray Radford. Don't forget, you can support the project by using our Amazon.com, .co.uk and .ca links or donating at patreon.com backslash projectrs. And you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, iTunes and other portals. Thanks for listening.